500 years ago, you failed me, Morgan. You allowed the greatest of the sorcerers on earth to overcome you. My victory was denied to me because of you. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And I brought him back again to 1978 to a movie based on a beloved comic book character. I, I'm out of words. We're not talking about Superman again. The 1978 no, we're not. movie we talked about last time. We're talking about another comic book movie, TV movie this time. TV movie. From 1978 that I watched the heck out of this when I was a kid. The only other time I've ever seen this was when it was originally broadcast. And I just remembered having been so impressed by it at the time. You were what by it? Because <laughs> I'm here going, I love this character, and I don't know what I just watched. We're talking about a movie that was about one of the, the mainstream comic book characters that I was really into and none of my friends seemed to get. Oh. And I was just amazed to see this character on my TV, like with grown-ups playing the parts and all that. We're talking about the TV movie Doctor Strange. Yes, Doctor Strange, master of the mystical arts. And my goodness, this is the most 70s thing ever. <laughs> this was a very, very 70s. The 70s were drawing to a close. They needed to get some more out of it. This is, this is the 70s before Buck Rogers turned them into the 80s. Oh, that's poignant. Yeah, but there's so much about this that it feels off. This doesn't feel like a movie that is old to me. This feels like a movie that is from some parallel world where everything about the character that I know is just off by a few degrees. Because there's something about this movie that just doesn't click for me. And I'm just gonna... I, I'm trying to hold my myself together here because part of me wants to run off into this absolute what have you done to this rant and the other part of me wants to say that was just weird and i don't know where i'm landing in the middle of this spectrum well this was back in the days when marvel really didn't didn't have the wherewithal or didn't have the expectation that to to, to realize much from their comic book properties and they were selling rights to comic book properties all over the place. This is probably, I don't want to check the years, but it's probably around the time we get the wonderful, for all the wrong reasons, Japanese version of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, that is a whole thing in and of itself. The, the Marvel method of draw the, page, of draw the panels, then write the dialogue doesn't work when you move to TV. <laughs> is that what they did here? That I so like. much would make sense. You're right. This may have been the Stan Lee method of producing uh, television. But, yeah, I mean, the Spider-Man TV show is known for having just taken the vague concept of Spider-Man and running into all the other directions with what they want. 
And I feel like if given enough time, this version of Doctor Strange might have done the same because they start off from like the vaguest silhouette of by the end, we're going to have a guy who is master of magic living in New York and there's this symbol. And then they just go off in whatever direction they wanted because it doesn't feel this doesn't feel like an origin story. This feels like a a failed situation comedy where a guy wanders into something he's not knowing about. That's an interesting take because I was about to commend it by saying at least you do get the sense of there is a bigger world than our character could possibly know going into this. And there's this struggle that's been going on for a long time behind the scenes of our mundane reality. And he is thrust into this and initiated into its ways. And the more I describe this, the more I'm explaining why I really, really liked the Doctor Strange comic books when I was a kid. Oh, the, the early Doctor Strange comic books are amazing. But some, but this, this movie... I'm going to start off with one of the first things that threw me and so confused me, I had to be reconfirmed it while we were watching. He's not a surgeon in this one. They make him a psychiatrist. Right. And at first, and again, I just remembered how cool this was. I didn't remember anything about the movie when we sat down to watch it this week. He's like helping people who are there to deal with ulcers. And I thought, is he like just a general practitioner or internist or something? And no, then we find out he's a psychiatrist, and he's like a not terribly senior psychiatrist, so never mind him being the world-famous, incredibly talented neurosurgeon. No, he's like a, 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 resident, psychiatry, uh, a resident psychiatrist in a New York City hospital. And since his, his entire thing is about his mind and being able to talk with the people, his hands getting hurt wouldn't mean anything like they usually do in his original comic book story. So they seem to kind of drop the hand element to some extent. Oh yeah, there's nothing about that. Yeah, so his motivations for winding up going into the mystical arts change, which means this one fundamental thing the entire structure of what I know of Doctor Strange, and that's not even relating it to the newer movie, like just the original comic origin for him falls to the wayside with that one tweak. And he's not extremely arrogant and proud and in need of letting go of his ego in order to open himself to these powers. No, he's too compassionate and he's too nice to the patients who show up and that gets the hospital administrators mad at him. It's just a very different character. This Doctor Strange would get onto the nerves of every other version of Stephen Strange I have ever seen in any other media, (laughs) because he's such a kind of a chipper, nice guy that normally, slightly, I don't have time for this aggravated Doctor Strange, would just be fed up with him. And yet somehow Peter Hooten's portrayal of this character... Is fits somehow. Yeah. Because he's just, he is one of the most 70s actors I can imagine. My goodness. I mean, he's, his performance of Doctor Strange is kind of the, well, of course everybody likes me. I'm roller disco champion of 1977. <laughs> and we don't have, like you say, we don't have the story elements either to follow, like him 
overcoming his ego or his motivation for exploring these mystic arts of of needing to heal himself in some physical way then he realizes he needs to heal spiritually no it's just kind of there yeah although we don't start the story with dr strange no we start the story with Morgan Le Fay talking to a demon? Right. And they never explicitly mention the Arthurian legends, but they do mention the fact that she's kind of been in, in well, in the fourth dimension, I think they say, which is so apparently a kind of purgatory, and oh. she's been waiting, and the nameless one whom she serves uh, is going to give her another chance. She to... in the, is she in the Phantom Zone? She can wave hi to Zod for us? <laughs> I guess so. It's a little more spacious in the uh, in the fourth dimension than it appears to be in the Forbidden Zone or the Phantom Zone. Uh, not not that much. There's only so large a uh, set they decided to build. I, I'm just realizing that this is a movie that starts out, at least in the early parts, with a bunch of with people talking in caves about demons, and ends with some guy talking about magic in the middle of New York City. How is this more, in fact, Dungeons and Dragons than Mazes and Monsters was? <laughs> How is this a better portray- portrayal of, like, the mentality of that time about such things? It was, and that's one of the things. I mean, they never call him Satan, but it sure seems to me like the nameless one is is rather satanic Yeah, in that, you know, mythological way. And, you know... This strikes me as a movie on the tail end of when Satan was fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to recover from because that sentence for a second. In, in, the seven, in the 80s, we had you know, the satanic panic and people thinking that real-world child sacrifice cults were operating in the basements of daycare centers and people's lives were ruined by these bizarre uh, accusations but before that in the 70s we had all these movies and novels and things that played with that human will and grace versus ultimate evil sort of stories we had uh the exorcist and rosemary's baby and so many uh movies and and books and in some cases TV shows, in with with Satan as the ultimate villain, as opposed to something that was a little too down-to-earth and a little too you know, believed and promoted by people when we get into the 80s. In the 70s, it was still something you could write fiction about. He, he was a good shorthand for both generic evil or human hubris depending on how you want to use things and it worked and this is definitely more of the first generic (laughs) evil type there is not a a a lick of the the metaphor or the hubris aspect here but definitely like they couldn't get away with this just a few years later no no i don't think they could i don't i think a few years later it would have in the 80s it would have been tougher to make this then it was in the 70s, and then it was in, it would be in the teens, or now, where we've had more Doctor Strange stuff. In the 80s, I think it would have been Doctor Strange by using magic. Too many people would have considered him satanic and evil, and he can't be a hero. But not so in the 70s. And there's another, uh, there's another influence going on here, I think, in 1978. 
because let me let me go through the the kind of the sketch of how this story begins. There is this evil, Morgan Le Fay, who needs to destroy the Sorcerer Supreme and and prevent Stephen Strange from becoming the next Sorcerer Supreme. And apparently Stephen Strange is destined to become the next Sorcerer Supreme. Apparently because his dad yeah. was part of like all of this? I was acquainted with your father. He and I shared some of the same interests. He was a greater man than most people realized, and his death was tragic and untimely. And Stephen learns that by meeting... Thomas Lindmer, who's an old man, who is the current Sorcerer Supreme, and he's played by John Mills, and he was a friend of Strange's father, and they worked together. And Strange has this ring that's a legacy from his father, and this old man who he meets is able to tell Strange what his birthright is and teach him in the ways of the Force. I mean, the ways of the mystic arts. Oh, oh, wait, wait. When his mentor dies, does he become a disembodied voice to guide him while fading away and leaving very little physical remains in the room he died in? As a matter of fact, yes. Oh my goodness, wow. Right. (gasps) (laughs) And there's a, um, a fellow who works for the Sorcerer Supreme, is not a robot, but he's a student. This is their version of, of Wong. Not given a lot to do, but played pretty well. Well, given a lot to do, but just not a lot of on-screen stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of Wong do this for me. Off to the side, which is <laughs> awkward. There's a reason why that story structure struck someone as, yeah, let's make a low-budget TV movie based on this general story outline. Yeah, there's, there's way too many similarities there. Although... I don't think that the I don't think that the War of Stars has anything quite as fun actually as Wizard Bridge Fight in my opinion. But that's just that scene was hilarious cuz Morgan Le Fay comes after this this wizard before he gets over to Stephen Strange. And this is the most honestly direct attempt at bad guy gets rid of good guy I have seen in anything. This is a moment I actually liked. She takes over a random civilian with a very long little, like, cut-across New York montage thing going on. And distracts our wizard with this lady. And has has this lady try to push the old guy wizard off a bridge. It's the most, like, (laughs) I'm not gonna bother shooting lasers at you. We're standing on a bridge. There's a road beneath you. I'm going to let physics be my weapon. It doesn't work, but it's so honest in its attempt. And I, I like that. I do kind of like that because it, it does a better job of the the secret conflict that's happening in our midst and we don't know it. Too many things, uh, too many movies, shows, manga, anime, it's a secret conflict. So we'll do it at night. And we'll stand on a bridge at night and throw gigantic thunderbolts at each other and fly through the air. Nobody will notice that. It's secret because it's at night and everybody else is asleep. No, I don't care what time you're doing that. You're swinging samurai swords or on a bridge in Manhattan or you're throwing thunderbolts or magic beams or whatever. People are going to notice. 
if you attack your enemy by having a random person attack them in the middle of New York City, seemingly because they're just nuts, yeah, that's not going to really be be noticed that. <laughs> Nobody's going to think it's a magical conflict happening somewhere. Yeah, but if you're standing there on the mountaintop throwing lightning bolts. There's probably someone at the NOAA just like looking at their reading <laughs> sensors going, what is happening over there? Someone's noticed something at least. And this is also how we get the one of the other main characters involved here, because Othay does this not just by disguising herself or something, but she has the ability to like mind control other people. So that's where we get Anna Marie Martin as Cleo Lake, who is the... Victim slash MacGuffin slash love interest in this story. Who is very reasonably traumatized from having kind of come to realizing she pushed an old man off a bridge. <laughs> and then the old man, like, I, I don't understand why he, if he's gonna just pop up because I'm magically okay, he doesn't do it just a little bit sooner. Well, it obviously, it does take some energy out of him because yeah. you know, she pushes him off this overpass that's three or four stories up he doesn't die on impact he doesn't die when the car on the highway below hits him but it does take him take him a little while to get up and limp away and then he kind of miyagi's himself does some hand gestures and lays hands on his own hip and heals whatever fracture he had or, or or something so it's not just a hey i'm magic so i'm fine it's oh i survived that but it was rough yeah, there, there's some some proper squishiness to the wizards in that sense. And what does Clea Lake do when she starts having these bizarre nightmares about having attempted to murder an old man? She goes to the hospital. and Or actually, she doesn't go to the hospital. She's kind of chased out of her apartment when Morgan Le Fay shows up, either in reality or in a vision. I'm not quite sure. But then a cabbie <laughs> finds her, takes her to a hospital, and she meets this kind, compassionate a uh, curious psychiatrist, Stephen Strange. I'm just realizing that this was an this movie was an attempt to create a a uh, Doctor Strange TV series. This was a pilot kind yeah. of thing in some ways. I think most TV movies were a attempts at pilots at the time. I'm realizing there's a completely separate spin-off thing they had as a backup, which was just Morgan Le Fay trying to be roommate in a New York apartment <laughs> to this lady and get used to modern normal life. And like, I'm going to get rid of all the the I'm used to all the evil magic stuff. Maybe I can just, you know, find a day job. And there's an entire other show in here. And they do give Clea um, kind of an interesting character. She gets more to do than, than some movies might give her. Yeah. They develop Morgan Le Fay's character, but it is kind of shallow. I mean, the ultimate punishment that the nameless one is threatening her with is to make her no longer young and beautiful. Um, and she does have her possess the cat moment. She does. Yeah. <laughs> Where if you're not sure she's evil, you have to have her possess a cat and use it to do some kind of horrible thing. <laughs> it's in the book. And uh, and that's how, and that's actually pretty clever. She uses possessing cats, and she doesn't turn into a cat. She just finds stray cats and mind controls them. There, there was something about her mind control that so reminds me of modern video games doing hacking, where you hack one security camera, and that means you can hack the other security camera it sees, <laughs> and you just kind of link these throughout a facility to map it. She's doing that, but with, like, pigeons and stray cats and people around the city, and I'm like, clever? I don't know. 
this sh- this movie is too <laughs> slow to me for me to figure out if it's clever but okay and yet at one point she uses that ability to get past the wards that protect the sanctum sanctorum because she shows up at the doorstep as a cat and Stephen strange assumes how oh, this must be the old guy's cat and carries her inside he carries her inside that apparently means the wards don't affect her was she shape-shifted into a cat at that point? And if so, why didn't she do more of that instead of having to find cats to possess? I don't know. Yeah, cause she, yeah, she, she, the cat kind of pops out into her later. Yeah, that, that's a whole thing. So it takes quite a while to get going. And this is not a long movie. It's about a 90-minute running time without commercials. It's very much like a flywheel. It takes so long to wind <laughs> up. And then once it's going, it's just spinning and when it comes to the actual magic stuff, for one, we really don't see too much of it. What we do see, I think, is cleverly subtle with the montages and mind controls and done with clever cutting and zooms and things. But also, most of the magic stuff that happens, it's, for starters, it's with the, the, um, the original Sorcerer Supreme, Lindman. In his Sanctum Sanctorum, and they changed the address of the Sanctum Sanctorum. They did! And we know what the address is, because we see Lindman's business card, and it's not 177A Bleecker Street. For some reason, it's 22 Bleecker Court, still presumably in the same neighborhood of Greenwich Village, but I don't know why they went ahead and changed the canonical address. I don't know. I do like his business card, though. It's, you know, nice plain white linen with nothing, with not much there, except if you tilt it and you get the Sanctum Sanctorum logo. Which is the same uh, logo as on the ring, which uh, Strange has from his father, which is what prompts him to go and consult this guy. And then it's kind of, um, very quickly from there, it's like, I knew you're dead. Because of that, I'll offer you a job as magic. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about the, the title of... Master of Magic being something kind of given via family relations and a bit of nepotism. I don't know. Yeah, that was a little odd. It's it's very much a this is your birthright, not a you are motivated and your work will make you worthy to to assume this mantle. It's oh, we've been looking for you and we've been watching you uh, as your no, not the moisture farm. Um, <laughs> we've been watching you and protecting you until you're old enough which is apparently after med school, for us to tell you what your real destiny is. But we do get to see Strange do some magical things, because uh, eventually, oh, there's this whole weird sleep deprivation thing. Clea is now terrified to sleep, because it's when she sleeps that she sees Morgan Le Fay and kind of feels vulnerable, and Morgan Le Fay is going to get her in her sleep, which turns out she's right to be concerned about that. And... She picks up fast on this magic stuff. Yeah, and and I'm not quite sure how this works out medically, but Strange was helping her not fall asleep for like a few days, and his superior eventually gives her medication to help calm her down so she won't fear for her life, and sleep, which is a thing humans need so they don't die. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Strange, sponsored by Rockstar Energy Drink. Yeah, they're they're stay they're, awake, avoid Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> the Doctor Strange edition. Oh goodness, of, of Rockstar. <laughs> now I don't understand. They 
they seem as if they're trying to portray this hospital, this senior physician at the hospital, who's um, Dr. Strange's boss, as the bad guy here. But it's kind of hard to argue with his medical decision there. Shall we keep the person who insists the evil witch from the fourth dimension will kill her if she sleeps awake forever? Or do we find a way to let her body sleep while we figure out how to help her? I feel like there's a not too great episode of House MD somehow shoved into the middle <laughs> of this otherwise weird TV Doctor Strange movie. You're right. You're right. With the hospital's hierarchy versus the young, magically endowed doctor. I don't know. Maybe. But, yeah. But- the whole not sleeping and then faking it out. Uh, and meanwhile, I do love that, like, that entire plotline gets kind of solved when our, our magical sensei here wanders in and just, you know, waves his hand and tells people what he wants them to think. And they say, oh, these aren't the droids I'm looking for. Oh, wait. And, and just they walk off. And he solves the problem by just kind of mind controlling people. <laughs> Which was what Morgan Le Fay was doing. And I'm yeah. just like, dude, well, why I, are you allowed to? I didn't mind control them to kill any old people. So <laughs> relatively speaking, I'm still the good guy. That's why I'm the Sorcerer Supreme and I don't work for the nameless one. Yeah. <sighs> and and of course, once Clea does fall asleep, thanks to the doctor who's trying to keep her alive, she's in the clutches of, of Morgan. And she must be rescued. And one of the reasons why her case resonated so much with Stephen Strange was that he was having similar dreams. So there was some kind of a psychic connection between them. And because of that, he's the one who, with the tutelage of Lindman, the Sorcerer Supreme, he's the one who had to go into the astral plane to rescue her. You know, they had to do it. They have to go into the astral plane in a, in a Doctor Strange story. But... I don't know what astral plane I like better. I kind of like the astral plane in this movie. It's sort of a color version of a really early Doctor Who title sequence. Yeah. The weird swirling tunnel of blobs sort of thing. And it, I remember being just, wow, this is just so incredibly cool when I was 12 or 13 watching this on TV. This, and that's the, what I remembered was him flying through the astral plane. That's the one image that stuck with me. This Dr. Strange astral plane is what I assume the standard vision is is for any H.R. Puffin stuff, you know, Croft character. Like, this is what those big mascot costumes just see all the time. Because it's that sort of, like, weird, trippy effect with all the blobs moving around. And I'm like, I I can understand kind of what's going on, but this is all just a haze of uncertainty. So are you suggesting that Lidsville is a realm of the astral plane? Absolutely. So are are you suggesting... That there could be other wielders of magic out there attempting to control parts of the astral plane. Some of them with special rings and hats. Oh, goodness, yeah. What have I done just now? (laughs) You've expanded the Lidsville Cinematic Universe once again. Oh, nameless one's coming (laughs) over for poker later in Lidsville. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just go with that. 
Oh, goodness. But it, it's got that sort of effect. It's got this, it is a very cheap effect, but it is just layered in such a way, in some, I feel. And the fact that it kind of comes out of nowhere in this very kind of mundane New York set TV drama, that it makes an impact. When suddenly he goes from New York City street to this house in Greenwich Village that's kind of weird inside like old and curvilinear rooms and all this and then from there he goes to the astral plane after they draw magic circles and use his ring and uh, uh perform magical incantations it really did have that charge of oh this stuff is happening and could be happening behind any door on this city street and we wouldn't know it absolutely uh, there's a lot of shows that have pacing problems that we'll discuss but this one is the first one that I feel like has an exponential pacing curve where it starts out so slow, but every like bit, of, every chunk of time, every scene of time, the speed in which its plot is moving doubles. And that means that by the time it hits here, it is moving so astronomically <laughs> fast compared to even a standard show. You've spent a lot of time a lot slower than most movies would be. But it's packing a whole lot into these last bits that you can barely hold on. You're right about that. And I think there are two things going on there. One is, as you said, this is probably something they were hoping to at least get more TV movies about, if not a series. So there was a lot of character groundwork they had to lay early. That takes time. But also, they were using that more or less standard thriller techniques of increasing the pace of the story as you go uh, farther along to make it seem more intense and make the stakes seem higher. You'll see that in novels in a thriller. The chapters will get shorter as you get towards the end of the book. Here, though, it did make me wish, and I, gosh, immediately after rewatching this, I did not think I was going to be saying this. It makes me wish it was a little bit longer. So they had a little more time. Not that I thought they couldn't have tightened up the beginning, so maybe the overall length was right. But I wish they had more time to do some of what they had to rush at the end. Oh, yeah, because we don't stay for very long in this astral plane scene. It's it's honestly a little quicker than I thought it would be, but they pack this entire like confrontation into it and this fight sequence. And they make a couple of different trips in there. He makes the trip in there to, to rescue uh, Clea, and he's given a magic word to banish a, 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 a calling upon a defender in the astral realm to banish any bad guys. And of course, Morgan sends somebody after Strange. But then after that, they, he has to go back because LeFay has a battle in the Sanctum Sanctorum with the Sorcerer Supreme and captures him and drags him away. And is it during that second time that he goes in that she gives him a costume in a like, you know, come to my side, come to the dark side. And she like, magics him up the giant shoulder pads and the tons of gold chains and then like he just keeps that he's like <laughs> she was evil but she had fashion sense so i guess this is my costume now i defeated her it was like i'm just here going like why why did the bad guy do the costuming i don't know what to feel about this yeah it was definitely a, a temptations in the desert kind of scene you never mind that sorcerer supreme who's wanting you to to be his replacement do you want power? I can give you that. Do you want, uh, you want, you want 
riches and wealth, I can give you that. Look at this these cool clothes I can give you with a snap of the fingers. I got these necklaces <laughs> from a uh, Mr. T's old old set he was getting rid of. You want some of them? It's All right. Like, why? Do you want a little something else? Because I'm really into that, says Morgan Lefay. Yeah. Um, ooh, that, he resists that as well. Yeah. No, thanks. But yeah, he keeps he gets to keep the suit. <laughs> he gets I guess, to keep you know, the suit. It's, it it fits him. He keeps it. And then later on he's he's got to he's has the another ritual he has to perform with the Sorcerer Supreme and he he needs magical robes and Lindemann looks at him and says, Oh yeah, those'll do. <laughs> it's like I, eh, it's kind of a, eh, it's not what I would have picked out, but it fits you nice. Yeah. Evil Schmeefel. It's good or <laughs> they, they got the waist right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's where he gets well, he gets a late seventies TV version yeah. of the classic Doctor Strange look. That's some thick piping. <laughs> a lot of gold braid. I think he's got like a gold sash on the clothes that he's got on underneath it, that he's got the robe over it. Absolutely. Lots of gold chains, I believe. Disco strange all the way. <laughs> Absolutely. And the funny thing is that uh, he get, he gets a little snarkier when he gets the costume. It feels almost a little bit more like Doctor Strange. It's got some confidence to him. Yeah. That he didn't have before. And I'm like, where was this guy earlier? He gets a little more like the Doctor Strange we see at the hospital. Somebody who's confident in his abilities, but not good with authority, <laughs> and is going to do what he thinks is A, cool, B, right for the patient or the, the task at hand or the mission, and not necessarily in those orders. And that does, I suppose, make some sense. He's <laughs> he, This is a whole new world to him, but as he learns it, his cocky personality comes out this is a doctor strange where we start out with a guy who is too nice and we give him an ego instead of the other way around and i don't know oh you're right i like that that's a good point that is kind of what happens it makes you wonder what he would have been like once he learned more and really became the sorcerer supreme i'm kind of worried that starting from the wrong direction of progress he'd become kind of a jerk <laughs> Like that's my concern. We've we've set a trajectory now and it's the wrong way. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Master. You mean it's not every week that I rescue one beautiful woman and fight another beautiful woman and both of them are really into me? I thought that's what this job was. Oh goodness. But the final the final time into the astral plane is the big final confrontation, if I understand. Right, where he's gotta save uh his his master, the sorcerer supreme. Mm-hmm. And he kicks Morgan Le Fay out, and we kind of get a meanwhile in heck. <laughs> yes. As Morgan Le Fay like, gives, a, gives her status update and gets zapped in punishment, but is kind of still there to, to shake her fist and, oh, I'll get you next time. I don't know. We haven't, I haven't shown you any Mork and Mindy, have I? No. But uh, for those who have seen Mork, Mork and Mindy, Morgan Le Fay's interactions with the Nameless One are kind of reminiscent of Mork's reports to Orson at the end of every Mork and Mindy episode. That'll mean something to you eventually, Ian. There's a, there's a definite distance between Morgan and the, um, the Nameless One. Morgan's a lot more afraid of the Nameless One than Mork ever was uh, afraid of Orson. But also, the Nameless One did give me some uh, Krull flashbacks, even though this was made before Krull. Yeah. There was something in the Nameless One, the little bit that we see of him, is kind of glimpses in the dark and smoke, that reminded me a little bit of the beast from Krull. 
quick, pull out an absolutely unusable Swiss Army knife. We can get rid of him fast. <laughs> Overall, like, I feel like, uh, once again, like, we had a lot of discussion earlier there at the beginning, but the, the end gets very fast. But it's all summarizable very quickly because the substance is just kind of oddly dispersed throughout this film. And once you get to the midpoint, you really can predict what all the beats of, of the remaining movie is going are going to be oh yeah and the fact that it ends on something that is i mean it's a finale but it's not a very definitive note is why it so feels like one of those pilot tv movies it doesn't have as sturdy a conclusion because it kind of wants to set up a he's learning and the bad guys are still out there and join us each week for another magical adventure with Doctor Strange. It's like they want to have more of this and they left the door a little too wide open for that, in my opinion, because it means they don't ever close anything in this as much as I want. Oh, and they made it very clear that there's more to happen. And not only that, but Morgan never did suffer the punishment that she was threatened with. I'm starting to get the impression that... Uh, the Nameless One does not have as deep a bench as he pretends to, because he, he's gone back to Morgan Le Fay, and at the very end, she's back on Earth. Yeah. But she's, like, on TV as a self-help guru promoting the Le Fay method to, of getting what you want. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Nameless One. <laughs> <laughs> so they were definitely planning to do more with that. Absolutely. And I... I'm not saying it would have been good, but I can see it working. Yeah. And I've I've got to say that we're looking at this from year 2021, where we've got all the magic-based stories we could possibly want. We've got all the superhero and comic book stories on TV and movies that we could stand. And that's going to lead to a lot of very harsh comparisons in which this does not fare very well. In 1978, I can kind of understand why I was just enthralled by this. Because there was nothing like this available. The stuff I was reading, especially Doctor Strange, something that wasn't Superman, Spider-Man, or Batman, was very on the on the edges, on the fringes, not really given very much attention. And this while the comic books were there, the idea that somebody would invest something into giving me things to see beyond the comic book art, give me grown-ups reciting this dialogue, that was kind of cool. This was around the time of the Hulk TV series, right? I guess so, now that you mention it. It was in that same time frame. So, so I guess there was a certain amount of, oh, these comic book things could work. If this had continued, there was more of a chance you could have seen a bit of what we see now of Marvel doing earlier. They could have gotten um, that clue earlier a little. Oh, and like combine these properties? Yeah, I know they tried some stuff. They, but I was going to say they eventually do that with some Hulk TV movies, and it really doesn't fare very well. I know, but maybe if they had a different angle to approach with, maybe yeah. I kind, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and we're kind of getting into our final things here. But I, there is something about this that makes you think there must have been like a series of this that got canceled in into the '80s because of the '80s mentality shift. But it feels like there's episodes of this somewhere you could watch more of. Yeah, somebody had outlines of additional episodes or additional TV movies, and they just were never produced. I, uh, I don't know if this was successful. I have no idea what its ratings were when it premiered on TV. Not, not I know great. I I saw it then when it first premiered and and I don't know that it was on TV, at least not on network TV after that. From a, some of the few things I heard I've seen about it didn't fare very well. No. No. And it was I mean it was a stretch. 
we did we have all this magic and serving weird powers and things and while i did talk earlier about this was when satan was fun it was fun as an absolute villain and yet here we've got our heroes getting into the whole mystical magical stuff that was a harder sell i think even in the 70s it might have been an easier sell in the earlier 70s yeah but in 78 putting this in the real world as opposed to a a mythic galaxy far away i don't know that that might have been some of the reasons why it was just either not accepted or not um didn't didn't really find an audience so shall we move into our final questions then i guess so i guess so it does count as a movie so uh screen or no screen i'm gonna say no screen as as weird as and interesting as this was the beginning was such a slog for me that like i don't know if i could if i could recommend it i had trouble keeping focused on this movie until the very end at which point i couldn't look away but i didn't understand what was happening at first i kind of i had to go back through and read stuff and watch clips again to completely piece together what happened and i I feel that that's too much of a detriment. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's funny. I feel like if just a few days after seeing it, I'm starting to fall into the the selective memory that made me so excited to watch it again after you know decades. But looking back at my notes from when we were watching it, I've got various notes, and they say things like "so little is happening," <laughs> and "this is not very good." <laughs> After that, it says transmutation, so I guess I got more into it. And these are also all in big decorative lettering, so obviously I was not just <laughs> dashing notes quickly while I remained riveted to the show. I had some time to play around with the note-taking during the early part of this. So yeah, those are not not good signs. Not great and signs. I, so I'm with you. Um, as excited as I was to see this again, I'm going to say don't screen. There are better things to do with, with your time and your attention than to watch this interesting experiment that just doesn't hold up. So, that brings us to our next question, which, again, when you get to a property like this, it gets complicated. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? And remember, revive means more stories in the same continuity as this 1978 TV movie. I'm gonna say revive... Asterisk as reference. And this is where I have to dive deep here. Marvel as a grouped property has a lot of ways to tell its stories and has a lot of flexibility in what types of stories it tells. And of all of the characters within all of Marvel, Doctor Strange is one who in the comics, in the upcoming movies for him and such, is the person who can deal with multiverse and other versions of characters and such i would be absolutely happy to see a small comic run of some future stories of this version of doctor strange and i would love for like the movie doctor strange to call upon some of his counterparts through a multiverse and just have one of them be this version popping up to lend a magical hand just having a little reference to it, that this exists and it's ticking away in the background of the multiverse as its own version. 
because they've got enough flexibilities that telling a little bit more story here isn't a problem, and even letting that story bleed into the rest of them fits with who the character is and what the character does in the grand scheme of Marvel. Okay, that um, that works. I kind of like that, because I wasn't sure where I was going to go with this question. Um, I wasn't going to go with you know, rest in peace necessarily, although for this version, maybe I would have. As far as reboot, that just means, should we tell more stories of some other vision of Doctor Strange? Absolutely, of course. He's one of my favorite Marvel characters and has been since the 70s. Um, and no, I don't think the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie version is the best depiction of of Stephen Strange. I definitely want more Doctor Strange. I don't necessarily want more full-fledged stories from the 1978 roller disco champion version. He's not really a roller <laughs> disco champion in the movie. It's just my reference. Um, and neither was I. I don't necessarily need more stories about this version of Doctor Strange, but acknowledging that he's part of the multiverse. Having some Doctor Strange story in a movie or a comic book in which they need a Doctor Strange who's a psychiatrist, not a surgeon, yeah, or just... <laughs> knows how to roller disco. <laughs> that would be cool. Something yeah. unique about this Doctor Strange versus all the others. Just, Why not? Just him going through a particular file of, okay, other me. Okay, surgeon, 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 surgeon. psychiatrist. Useful? Maybe. Put him off to the side. Okay. <laughs> like, that's even the smallest reference you can do. But right. that that's something to play off the fact that this is a unique take on the character. Yeah. And that, that offers something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot they could do with that. Oh, he's a psychiatrist. Oh, this place is on Beaker, Bleaker Court. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. They, they can have some fun. And I, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is... That is as much as I would want, but it would be really cool to have that. Oh, yeah. So I like that, that answer. That's a good, a good point at which to land on that. And as points to land uh, go, I think that's going to be it for this episode of the IWMP. Uh, this was fun. This was one of those where I got to reach way back to something I could barely remember, except that it was cool. I was so confused when you started this up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to watch Doctor Strange. What are we watching? Like, I love that movie. <laughs> Oh, wait, this isn't that one. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> like, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're a fan of it. I'm a fan of it, too. And I kind of got into it a little because you had the reference to it, but also because when I started diving into Marvel stuff, I came upon it and kind of li liked the character as well, independent. <laughs> so the fact that you were able to show me this other version was great. And I have to acknowledge... My even my awareness of tarot cards comes from reading Doctor Strange comic books. Oh, that makes so much sense. And you know, for somebody who doesn't think there's anything especially magical about tarot cards, I've got a pretty sizable collection, and it all comes down to Doctor Strange comics. Note to self: find a Doctor Strange tarot set. <laughs> That would be cool. I'm sure that there's a Marvel tarot deck out there, and I'm not that interested in that. But if there was a Doctor Strange version, that that would be cool. Oh, yeah. I'll have to see if I can find in the basement the the issue, the first issue of Doctor Strange that I read that involved tarot cards. It was like he was sent, another magician sent a deck of tarot cards to Doctor Strange with a cryptic note, and Strange, like, did a spread of tarot cards and did a reading, and that was actually a communication from the other wizard. So, 
it was kind of like tarot cards as PGP encrypted email. <laughs> but That's, it was still, it well, was like, that, whoa, this is so cool. That was a sentence I never thought I'd hear, <laughs> but it's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's added to one of my hobbies. Beyond comic books was Doctor Strange. That works. But I'm I'm digressing again. See, <laughs> I, it stirs up so many memories. But thank you very much for downloading this. Thank you very much for listening and joining us once again. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century or the fourth dimension or various other times and places. So, Dad, where can they find you online? Well, you can find me at buymatthewporter.com. You can also find me on Twitter uh, at buymatthewporter. And you can find me on Twitch at buymatthewporter. So, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on both Twitter and YouTube as Item Crafting and on Twitch as Item Crafting Live. And you can find the podcast itself on the web at immproject.com. That's your, where you will find links to all of our past episodes. You'll find a link to our store, to our Discord. Uh, you'll also find a link to our Patreon. If you're able to support us on Patreon, that would be terrific. And either way, if you could also give us a nice review or a rating on iTunes, that would be terrific because that would help other people find the podcast. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at IMMPCast. We'd love to hear from you on that or our contact page. You know, Let us know what you thought of this movie, what, what your favorite comic book characters are and such. So thanks very much, and we will be back soon. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.